Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 563 of the podcast and it is Friday the 16th of July 2021 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Sarah Santacroce about gentle marketing, a topic I know many of you will be interested in. And it's something I've always aimed to do, to be honest. I find content marketing, like this podcast, is fun for me and it's attraction. I mean, you don't need to stick around. It's entirely your choice. I don't know who you are because I don't see your data through podcast apps and all that. And it's just something I really like doing is this more gentle. And then I can offer you stuff and tell you about stuff and and then you can decide to buy it or not. It's entirely up to you. So I really like this gentle marketing. It's something that I I guess I've always aimed for and uh, I avoid things that stress me out. (laughs) So Sarah talks about the problems with online marketing these days. I think many of us feel and how to reframe marketing because it doesn't have to be that way and also some specific tips. So that is coming up in the interview segment. In publishing news, well, Kindle Vela launched this week, although it is only available to US authors and US readers, which is uh, pretty frustrating. You can't even look at it outside the US, which is annoying, uh, especially as they have not geo-targeted their advertising. I got an ad on Instagram for Vela as a reader, but when I went over to try and read on Amazon.com, it wouldn't let me in. So yes, <laughs> a few issues there. And if you are a US-based author who is using Vela, please make it clear in your emails to your list that this is not for everyone because, of course, many of us do global marketing, but this is not a uh, globally available. So, yeah, it's also on iOS and on Amazon.com, not Kindle devices. So it's actually pretty limited right now. And I feel like there's quite a lot of hype about it, but I don't know. It'd be interesting to see where it goes. The next web reports on the details of the pricing and payment structure and some of the pros and cons. And uh, it's a little bit complicated in terms of uh, they use these tokens. So you as a reader, you get some episodes for free and then you pay with tokens and then authors get a percentage of tokens based on how they were bought and used. So it's a bit, um, I guess, a bit like with Audible with the credit. It depends how people bought the credits. Did they buy them in a bundle? Did they get as part of a subscription? Did they buy a la carte? Similar with these tokens. If people bulk buy tokens, you get less money, that type of thing. So uh, there are things like tags, which are like keywords, and authors can also add notes. So and it it has more sharing capabilities, things that Wattpad has been doing for, I guess, over a decade now. And there are other mobile apps that do something similar. But it will be very interesting how this goes. Um, 
there are sort of requirements around what type of uh, products you can do. It, it um, Vela stories can be published elsewhere as long as they are not freely accessible. So that's interesting. But writers can't break down previously published books or long form content into episodes and republish them in Vela. Although when I went in, um, you know, I can actually see the titles and things. I can't read anything. But uh, I did see some things that looked like they had been repurposed from other books. So I don't know, be very interesting to see how it goes from the sort of longer term perspective if you've been around a while <laughs> I think it was 2014 2015 we had Kindle Worlds and Kindle Serials and there was fanfare about that but both of those um, disappeared over time but we shall see if you read serial fiction and you write it then it might be worth a try but of course only if you're in the US <laughs> In a very interesting thing that has happened here in the UK this week, a report has landed with MPs after this is after a six month inquiry into streaming. This report calls for a complete reset of music streaming to ensure fairer pay for artists, as reported by the BBC. They've said royalties should be split 50-50 instead of the current rate where artists receive about 16%. While streaming has brought significant profits to the recorded music industry, the talent behind it, performers, songwriters and composers, are losing out. Now, of course, there are many parallels with the publishing industry because this is talking about Spotify, about YouTube, about um, Amazon Music, about Apple Music, all of these um, streaming and subscription services where you pay a monthly fee. And and especially, you know, in traditional publishing where the rights holder is usually the publisher. So the money from these services goes to the rights holder who then distributes it. The bookseller had an article about audiobook subscription services, which are essentially streaming in the same model as Spotify. Publishers very quickly made ebooks and audio part of the rights to a book, as in they want all of that, but have stuck religiously to 25% of net receipts as royalty. And remember, that doesn't mean you get 25% of of the uh, of how much it's sold for in inverted commas or how much the publisher gets for it there are lots of other things that go into that calculation publishers are making audio very much a take it or leave it part of the deal as in you give us audio rights or the deal is off the, pub, uh, the bookseller says the statistics are very clear on the fall in average author incomes and yet we see corporate profits in publishing rise. Then there's the spectacular increase in Amazon's profits with books in print and digital part of the picture. One agent said, my worry is the constant spotification of audiobooks. If you think authors are doing badly now, wait until that happens. So I've talked about this before. I think customers love subscription models. I mean, you're listening, you probably have a subscription. I mean, I do have, uh, I listen to music on Spotify. I have Amazon Prime. I um, I have all kinds of TV things, Netflix and Apple TV and different things. And we all use these subscription for entertainment and consumption. It's not going away. Um, so we have to use them as part of our ecosystem. And I'm really very attached to this idea of the ecosystem. I, 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 got a sort of big chunk in it in how to make a living with your writing the 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 big edition I put out this year and also in your author business plan talking about this ecosystem you cannot just say oh 
my income from subscription, and this includes KU people, my income from subscription is everything. It cannot be everything. You have to think about it as only one of the parts of your ecosystem and really about driving people into the funnel and a discovery mechanism. So to me, subscription models and streaming are an important part of discovery and an important part of the whole thing. I mean, libraries are essentially a subscription model now. If you publish audio through Findaway or you publish uh, ebooks through Draft to Digital and other places, library systems are, you know, paper checkout now, similar kind of deal. So in my mind, you want some of these people from streaming and subscription services to to discover you and then find the rest of your ecosystem. So your special editions, whether they're print or NFTs for digital or or buying from you direct. So you get 90% of the royalty, uh, which I have banged out and banged on about (laughs) enough. (laughs) I really, I I do have my soapboxes. I hope you will hear my voice when you're like, oh, should I sell direct? Oh, yes, you should. (laughs) Or, you know, Someone might join your Kickstarter or your Patreon or buy your merch or basically spend more money with you in other ways. And that's what we're aiming for. So uh, also amusingly in the BBC report, they said independent artists who release their own music or who work with independent labels and distribution companies tend to get a higher share. So there you go. Uh, Indie musicians as indie authors uh, can make more income from these. And uh, there are some recommendations including allowing musicians and songwriters to reclaim their rights and to adjust their contracts if they are more successful than expected and for more transparency in money. So if this becomes, if this goes through into something, some action, I would see that this is definitely something that UK authors should be using as leverage to try and get better rights for authors as well. So, But who knows where this will go, like the bills in the US Congress aimed at breaking up or at least regulating big tech. It's all part of the backlash against existing massive online companies. And my feeling is that these things will move so slowly. I mean, government and law is so slow and technology is moving super fast. In my mind, these are all really important things. But by the time these go through, the world will look quite different anyway, and the technology will have moved into other things. So my focus is really more about trying to influence the future tech, things like um, models built on blockchain, for example, rather than trying to change the old stuff, which inevitably will uh, change. And I'll be doing some more futurist shows on this. There's so much going on. In my personal update, well, I still have two books in process and uh, Tomb of Relics, <laughs> my Arcane 12, is going so slowly, mainly because I'm finding it hard to write about places that I haven't been and these are quite pivotal things and I get so much inspiration from travelling and my creative well is seriously dry, as in scraping the barrel, and I value detail in setting and environment so much and I get a lot of my story ideas from actually going to a place and and finding things that are are really cool. So I'm having to trawl through websites and online images and I mean luckily, I guess say luckily, (laughs) a lot of these places now have sort of online tours. So I was doing this amazing online tour of uh, St Mary's Basilica in uh, Krakow in in Poland and uh, you know this, this sort of zooming in on individual shrines 
shrines to, to, to write about the colours and which particular saint it's about and whether this particular street has cobbles or not and whether there'd be a jeweller on that street and, you know, how the trumpet call sounds from the top of the basilica and all these things that if I actually just went there, I would, I would just, it would just go into myself and I would miraculously come out with a story because that's how my brain works uh so i'm i think i'm definitely oh like seriously it's crawling along it's quite painfully slow but you know sometimes that's the way it goes you have to painfully crawl through words but that is um it's happening and that's the important thing i guess i'm in a bit of a pandemic slump Again, it feels like we go through these stopping and starting. Is it? Is it? Are things coming back? Oh no, they're not. <laughs> uh, even though there's talk of restrictions easing, it de- definitely doesn't feel that way. Um, travel is very restricted. I and <laughs> most Americans I talk to, you know, I interview quite a lot of Americans and have calls and things and. I think Americans don't realise how restricted things are here in that flights from the UK, for example, are still banned uh, and not just the UK, the EU banned into the US at the moment. So if I wanted to come speak at a conference, which, you know, some people have mentioned, uh, I won't. I can't. I can't. No, I have to spend two weeks in Mexico before I go into the US or something. Or And if I want to go to, for example, uh, Cologne Cathedral, which I've also been researching, I, I will have to spend um, time in quarantine uh, anyway, so it's not like we can just jet around Europe or or anything really. Um, so yeah, I feel like September and October, I had thought I would start planning for travel then, but even that I'm thinking probably not, uh, it's too optimistic. So yeah, if you're feeling a mid-year slump as, as I am, perhaps it is that we are still in a pandemic <laughs> as much as we try and uh, get on with life it's definitely the world is not as we would like it to be and I feel like last year obviously on on books and travel I did a couple of shows on sort of this too shall pass and uh, a number of things about thinking this way feeling like a bird trapped in a cage and just banging my wings against the bars and I think I'm feeling like that again (laughs) that's how I'm feeling So yeah, such is life. Um, But we did have an adventure of a walk on the coast near Lyme Regis last weekend. Uh, The area is famous for Mary Anning and the discovery of dinosaur fossils and the beginnings of paleontology. And it was super wet and muddy. You might have seen pictures of floods in in the UK and Europe. It it was very, very wet and much more of an adventure than we expected. (laughs) And there are pictures on my books and travel blog where I... Um, now log a lot of my walks with lots of pictures and things like that so it's not just a podcast on books and travel it's also sort of where I'm putting my photos and stuff like that so check uh, check out booksandtravel.page or links in the show notes also in non-fiction the first draft of the the relaxed author with Mark Leslie Lefebvre is nearly finished and uh, so that is going much faster having two of us helps (laughs) So I'll be doing the first hand edit this week and uh, definitely it's on pre-order with ebooks for the 18th of September. Hopefully we'll have the audiobook and obviously the print done by then as well. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments this week. Uh, Yana on YouTube said about the interview with Ed James, it was fantastic to hear another perspective from a crime thriller author. Loved his thoughts and will definitely be checking out his books. 
Harley Christensen. Uh, as ever, thanks for all your quotes, Harley, on Twitter. It was a great interview, Ed, with a lot of helpful takeaways. And uh, I wanted to share Pearl Solas on Twitter said about the episode with uh, Armit on Pseudowrite. Um, Pearl says, I often feel a vague resistance before listening to one of the Creative Pen's episodes on technology. But as usual, this episode left me feeling optimistic about the incredible tools available to us. Thank you, Pearl. And yeah, as as ever, my I am a techno optimist and you'll all, you're always going to hear the, the uh, optimistic side <laughs> of various things when you listen to me. I am aware of many of the problems of technology, but um, tools and weapons, as uh, that guy from Microsoft has a book on it. What's his name? Was it Brad Smith? Anyway, that guy, tools and weapons. And uh, of course, anything can be a, a tool and a weapon and we have to learn to use things responsibly. Okay, so today's show is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life. As an indie author, it's vital to make sure your books are finding their way to as many readers as possible. From their home base in Canada, Kobo Writing Life works hard to keep customers reading all over the world. And indeed, uh, Kobo Writing Life's map is my favourite map. And I think, what am I at? 163 or something, or 168 countries where I've sold books now, which is very cool. Uh, Here are some tips that can help your book stand out globally. At Kobo Writing Life, you can set the price in 16 currencies. When you're pricing your book, you should consider how your prices are being shown globally in the store. Is your $5, 5 US dollars 99 price showing as £4.69 in the UK? Remember, an awkward price can impact sales. You might as well round it up and make a little more on every sale or adjust per market. So, for example, I see many authors pricing overpricing books in Indian rupees, for example, so don't just use the automatic currency setting. What you can do on Kobo is uh, you can click the little flag in the top right hand corner of Kobo.com and choose another country. So if when I go to Kobo.com, my little flag is a Union Jack. And if I click that, uh, I can then uh, choose India and I can have a look at what prices there are in rupees. And you can do that with every territory. And uh, no, you don't have to know the flags off by heart. Although I like the fact that you can see the flags on that page. I always find flags very cool. Kobo also works with partner stores and local booksellers around the world, from Booktopia in Australia to Fnac in France, to make sure they're reaching as many readers as possible. So personally, I go direct to KWL for my ebooks and I love their promotional tab, which gives me marketing opportunities. I just pop in every three weeks and apply for whatever is relevant. You can email the KWL team and ask for access to the tab if you go direct to Kobo. Another tip is to use box sets for promotions as they do very well and there's no price cap for royalties. So you can do massive series box sets and still get 70%, unlike another store you might know. If you want to learn more about this or any aspects of Kobo Writing Life, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and find Kobo Writing Life on social or go to kobo.com forward slash writing life. This type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons and especially the limited, I say limited series of futurist episodes. I, I thought at the beginning of the year I'd just be doing a couple, but... <laughs> 
I seem to be doing lots. And in fact, there was a new one with Shane Neely last week. Hopefully you you heard heard that about more co-creation with AI and NFTs and all kinds of exciting things. So thanks to all my patrons on Patreon and new patrons this week, Megan Smith, Steve Mannion and Ken Ring. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon and I really appreciate it. I will be doing the Q&A this week, the Patreon only Q&A where I answer questions, and basically any question you send me that is related <laughs> to the author business. Uh, I do answer personal questions sometimes depending on uh, how honest I'm feeling, I'm usually quite honest as you know. But uh, you can support the show and uh, get the extra Q&A including the backlist at patreon.com p-a-t-r reon.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Sarah Santa Croce is the author of The Gentle Marketing Revolution, a radical business approach to getting new clients with integrity and kindness. She's also a business coach, podcaster, LinkedIn specialist, and the founder of The Gentle Business Revolution. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, Joanna. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun. Oh, indeed. Uh, So I thought maybe you could start by telling us a bit more about you and your background in business and writing and also where you are in the world, as I think people would find that interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just off recording, we said we're both in Europeans, but I guess that's not so completely true for both of us because I'm in Switzerland and we're not part of the European Union and England is a whole other story. (laughs) 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 So yeah, born and raised in Switzerland. That's where I am based now. Still, we did a little uh, exchange in California between 2006 and 2010. And that's where I started my business. I first got into kind of social media in general. And then when we came back to Switzerland in 2010, that was like still the ice age uh, regarding social media in Switzerland. Like people were maybe on Facebook, but, you know, just about started. So when I came and thought, oh, I'm going to help businesses with their social media strategy, I quickly realized, well, people, never mind strategy, they don't even understand what social media is. And so I had to pivot into training and then focus mainly on LinkedIn. And that's what I've done the last 10 or so years. I created a, an online LinkedIn consulting business. And about two, a bit more than two years ago, I kind of had this breakdown that led to a breakthrough, how they often go, and really started realizing I can't do this anymore, this whole online marketing thing. Something is just wrong and nobody's addressing it. Am I the only one feeling that way? And that's where the gentle business revolution was born and then led me to write this book about gentle marketing. Well, can we explore that a bit more? You mentioned the word breakdown. You said it was, everything felt wrong. And for authors, I know many authors don't like marketing, but there's also a lot of hypey marketing in the author space. So how did you know things were wrong or you were feeling it was wrong? And and just tell us a bit more about that process, because I, I, I know authors feel it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically through my work, mainly with clients in the LinkedIn space, but 
they were all online entrepreneurs. And so I heard it over and over again, this phrase, I hate marketing. Um, you know, I love what I do. A lot of my clients are in the service oriented business. So they love coaching. They love creating transformation, but marketing their business, they hated that. And I think for a lot of authors, that's kind of similar. It's like, yeah, we loved writing our book, but now we have to market it and market it the way the gurus tell us. Oh my God, that's just another story. And so I really felt this ever-growing anxiety when it came to marketing. And I started realizing that the anxiety is twofold. On one hand, there is anxiety from us, the entrepreneurs who are told to market in a certain way, because when you go online, there's millions and millions of things that tell you how you should be marketing. So that creates anxieties for entrepreneurs. But there's also anxiety on the receiving end. So when I used to open my email inbox and there was all these headlines like, have you created your seven-figure big business yet? If not, well, what are you doing wrong? And all of these kind of pushy, scarcity-oriented headlines in emails, that creates anxiety also on the receiving end. So I really, yeah, paid attention to this ever-growing anxiety. Actually, the first term that I came up with was anxiety-free marketing because I felt like, oh my God, can we just talk about our businesses, but we without creating more anxiety. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I feel very conflicted about this because on the one hand, I totally agree with you. And on the other hand, we still have to sell our books and make some money. So tell us a bit more about the gentle side and we'll get into the detail. How did you come up with this word gentle, I guess, and how does it balance ambition and the desire to make money? Yeah. In fact, it has nothing to do with each other. Like gentle, and you're right though, it's like we have this idea that gentle means too nice or or kind of like pushover but that's not at all what the meaning of the word is the word means empathic maybe it means kind it means compassionate but that doesn't mean that uh, we're not making money in fact in the book uh, I write about the triple win which is based on the triple bottom line so I came up with this idea of the triple win and that is win for ourselves so clearly yes we still want to make money uh, win for our clients and then also I included the win for the planet so it really just means uh, marketing our business with integrity and and kindness I think that's where uh, a lot of the hype and bro marketing or whatever you want to call it, that's where things got out of hand. There, there was no more integrity. It was always about just making that sale no matter what. And that's what I think is wrong with the current marketing paradigm. No, you're right. Because again, people think marketing is negative, but marketing is not negative in no. itself. Marketing is sharing what we've created with people who are interested in hearing about it. Exactly. But that doesn't mean we need to push, push, push and hype, 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 I guess. That's what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. And the difference is very subtle, actually. Uh, you know, it's it's about words. On my walk today, I just listened to this podcast by Brene Brown, where she talks about the concept of dehumanizing 
she talks mainly about politics, but that is exactly what's been happening also in marketing. Uh, we started to dehumanize uh, the way we market our businesses. So it was all about numbers and getting more and more and more numbers rather than actually selling our services or ideas or products to humans. And so it's all about the words we choose to uh, use in our marketing, whether it is these shaming techniques or, um, you know, just only highlighting how much money you could be making if you're using this product and kind of selling this illusion of how, how rich you're going to get when you buy my product. And that that is all about words, the words you choose, whether you're inviting and focusing on the positive or whether you're focusing on the negative and making me feel bad that I'm not a, a seven-figure business owner yet. And maybe I will never get there because I'm such a loser <laughs> because you're you know, <laughs> making me feel bad. So, so it's all about these subtle differences in, in, in words and language, really. Yeah, and, and intention of, of mm -hmm, the person. Of course, yes. Yeah, the intention. And yeah. uh, it's interesting you talk there about that sort of almost instead of dehumanizing that if we remember there are humans on exactly. the end yeah. yeah so and I always it always makes me laugh you know with the email lists people are like <laughs> oh well you have to have this massive list of hundreds of thousands of people or whatever yeah. and people who have a list of maybe 50 people get really upset because they, they think that's too too small but then if you think about how things used to be in book marketing where you if you got 50 people in a room <laughs> to actually yeah. listen to you if you wow. imagine 50 yeah. people listening humans then it it changes completely because 50 people in a room listening to you is actually quite a lot <laughs> it is can you imagine like you know out of 50 people you get 10 people to a workshop uh, around the topic of your book. I mean, you're, you're done. You made your day. Mm -hmm. So it, it really is this, this push to always more. And, and yeah, unfortunately, of course, I'm not totally not against technology. I think technology helps. I mean, we couldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for technology, but there's this to a certain extent that these guru marketers, they created these huge, huge kind of kingdoms uh, and that you, you really became only a number to them. And so that's the risk also of technology is that you're on a webinar with thousands of other people and clearly you don't feel heard and seen because you're just one of those buyers. So there's a good side to technology, but there's also the kind of dehumanizing side to technology. Mm. No, that's a good point. I've been talking a lot about doubling down on being human in an yeah. age of AI. You know, there's yeah. more and more AI creation and ways to, to scale. And scale is brilliant. You know, again, this is going out to a lot of people on the podcast feed. But I also find that podcasting is quite a personal way and people... Even when when I meet someone who's been you you've got a podcast too. Obviously, when you meet people who've listened to your podcast, they actually feel quite connected, even though you've created it in a bigger way. It can still be personal, which is interesting. Again, yeah, and it's because we make it personal, right? And we really talk. It's a choice of words. We we 
want your listeners to feel like we really care about them and we don't just care about their money. I think that's also uh, the dehumanizing aspect of marketing. If it feels like you only want to make the sale or if you truly care that I am going to take, you know, get results from what you're selling to me. Mm. Like, like in book marketing, you see a lot of, um, you know, these books that are just like lead magnets. And I, I, I don't want to get too much into that, but, but I really wanted to, to write a book where the reader walks away with real information. And it's, yes, it's part of my business. And it, we'll talk about that uh, maybe a bit later, but I didn't want to just create an empty book that then ha has to, you know, come over to my website and buy my uh, $600 program. So that's also the place where you you show that you truly care. There's empathy and there's there's yeah integrity behind. Yeah, and I you know want to be clear with from what I'm hearing from you. There's nothing wrong with lead magnets. There's nothing wrong with marketing. It's our intention and the care we put into things, and that we really do want to give value to people who get something from us, even if it's for free. And you know that's important. It's about the value to the person, whether or not they buy something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, uh, there's just things that work in marketing and a lead magnet. Maybe I don't like the word anymore because the, if you think about it, it's not a nice word, but giving away something for free that gets people to come to your email list and then get to know you and they get a taste of you. Basically, that's a good concept in marketing. And mm. so there's nothing wrong with that. But then yeah. the value has to be there when you're actually asking for money. Yes. And I really think this is great because it's, it hopefully will help some people who struggle with the mindset of marketing to change the way they feel about it. Because as you say, if you come with it with the good intentions, then the same tactic as such can can work for you, but you're doing it differently to someone else who's using it in a different way. So I really like that. But I want to get into some of the details of the book. So you say from the book, forget your client avatar, start with yourself. So what do you mean by this? And why is that important? Yeah, in every marketing program that I've ever taken, it's always the first thing you look at is the, the client avatar. And Again, there's nothing wrong with looking at the client avatar, but I actually say customer-centric marketing is a bit overrated, especially when it comes to us entrepreneurs and, and maybe uh, your authors who are listening, because if you only pay attention to your avatar, so you create this giant business model uh, around your uh, ideal client avatar, and you then wake up one day and realize, oh my gosh, these people are not a lot at all aligned with who I am, what my values are, what I stand for in this world, then that's exactly when you uh, maybe also have this breakdown that I had a few years ago. I created a business that was purely oriented towards this client avatar. And, and so the marketing felt like a hustle all the time because I only like geared everything towards them. So what I suggest is that we actually start with ourselves. And in the book, I built a book around three stages, rumble, rise and resonate. And the first one is rumble. And that means rumbling with your story and who you are. Because when we 
go deep within ourselves and kind of do this work and figure out what our values are, our our worldview, what our story is, and so, so that we can really show up fully, then we can bring more of ourselves into our marketing. And that's when marketing is really fun. That's when we feel like we are doing something that is aligned with our values and it attracts people that are also aligned with those values. I think the reason that so many people hate marketing is because they're just following blindly things that some guru tell them told them to do. And deep down, if they really listen to themselves, they don't feel aligned with what they're doing. And, and again, that's what I did. And it didn't feel good. I felt like, oh my God, really, do I want to send out another card closing email today because that's what I've been taught. You send out four card closing emails on the same day. So yeah, just going within first, figuring out who you are and then bringing more of you to your marketing. That sounds like marketing that is joyful and not arduous. It's so important to tap into that feeling. I know exactly what you mean. And I do quite a lot of joint, well, I used to do a lot more joint ventures and webinars and things. And I I would never do that. They'd be like, oh, well, we'll do a webinar, but you have to send out these closing emails or whatever. And I'm like, no, I don't do that. So basically, I, <laughs> I'll send one email that says, hey, fancy coming along. And then one email with here's the recording. And that's about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, but I don't, I never felt like I wanted to do more than that and that feeling is so important and I I agree with you like I feel like people aren't necessarily in touch with that feeling and in order to find the best marketing for you and your audience it's really tapping into what what feels good like for me podcasting I do so much of it because I enjoy this right it's also marketing right exactly yeah it's it's marketing and it's bringing all of you to your marketing because you get to also bring in your stories and you get to connect with uh, people on the podcast that you feel aligned with. You would never bring in someone who you're like, oh, this is like a complete jerk. Why would you want to have him on that podcast? Yeah. yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think it's also interesting, you talked about what you stand for in this world and your values. And I think if you do build more of an audience around yourself and to be fair, you have to grow into that. But if you can do that, then people will follow you when you pivot. Because of course, both of us have been online business people for over a decade. And many people fall away because they build a brand around one particular thing. And then they just have to blow it all up because they want to change. Whereas if you build it around yourself, you can pivot and people will come with you, at least some of them. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I I never actually paid attention to that, but you're right. Like, like, look at what I did before. It had nothing to do with gentle marketing, even though people always told me you're the real thing and we never thought you were, you know, kind of pushy or anything like that. But yeah, they followed me, even though I was doing something very specific. Now I feel like I'm, I'm really, I've really come full circle and I share, for example, I remember the day when I pushed, uh, published on my new about page where I share about my hippie upbringing and how the the growing up in a commune has really had a big uh, impact on how I look at business and how I want to run my business. But that felt so scary, uh, you know, especially having built a business on like the most 
sterile professional <laughs> platform uh, that you can think of. So, so yeah, I can't remember why I said that, but, but, oh yeah, because people followed you and, and mm. yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And in fact, the more you are honest with boundaries of course we all have to have boundaries around what we share but if you share as a real person I think a lot of people still listen to this podcast after so many years because I share my mistakes and the problems and the issues as well as the other things along the way and that helps people know that you're a real person instead of someone trying to be something else maybe (laughs) yeah and I talk about that as well eh? because a lot of people ask me well is this like you know, could you have called it authenticity marketing or something like that? And and unfortunately, the word authenticity almost became a buzzword. It became this thing that you do, you know, you, you, it's another thing you do and check off, oh, uh, I'm being authentic. And, and let's face it, there's just no course on how to be authentic. Uh, the course would probably be exactly what I talk about in Rumble, find out who you are. But it's not a checklist, you know, show up in pajamas on your Zoom call and that's being authentic. <laughs> but so in a way, there's there's this, yeah, there's this thing also that uh, sometimes you feel like we have to be authentic or we have to be vulnerable. No, that's if you start using those things in order to sell more or in order to market people can see through it. People want the truth now more than ever, uh, especially after what we've just gone through. And people can see through it. I think it's 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 almost like consciousness in the world has risen and marketing is still like this outdated thing that we used to do 10 years ago when people didn't have all this information that we have access to today. And it feels like a lot of the marketing, the kind of the hypey, pushy bro marketing it feels like they're treating me as I'm stupid. Like, really? Don't you don't you understand that I can see through this completely? It always makes me cringe. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, then, uh, what about uh, also in the book? Stop chasing, attract instead. So, to be more specific, what are some of the things that authors can do to attract readers? Yeah, well, we, we already mentioned podcasts, so that that is kind of my favorite, uh, and, and I think it's your favorite too. So, mm. so just really find opportunities where people can really hear you talk about the story, the backstory also of your book, and hear the real you and not just the marketing pitch of the book. That's where you bring more of you. So podcasts or another thing I've seen some authors do um, recently is is a a webinar, so a a collaboration actually, where they got on a webinar, so three authors, and then the idea was to each talk not just about the book, but about ideas from the book. So they had a common theme to the webinar. And at the end, they just invited people who haven't hadn't bought the books yet, you know, if they're interested, go and buy the books of all three authors. So I found that a beautiful collaboration because oftentimes as authors, just like as entrepreneurs, we do everything alone. And and that's hard, you know, to to sell a book all by yourself. You have to create the the audience around it. So Think maybe also about collaborating more with others where you have a common 
uh, audience. It doesn't have to be exactly the same topic, but they often overlap. And then you and I obviously have our own podcasts, but we both go on other people's. We, I've been on yours and uh, we mm -hmm. go on other people's shows. Uh, most authors are not going to start their own podcast. So do you have any tips for getting on other people's shows? What has worked for you in terms of pitching? Yeah, yeah. Probably like you know as well, we get those pitches like every week and the ones that there's very few that I actually uh, that that turn into something, but the ones that that do work is the ones who did their homework. They've listened to my podcast. They know what the show is about. Uh, in my case, I organize my uh, conversations around the seven P's of the gentle marketing mandala, and so they put that into their pitch. They're like, "Oh, I'd like to pitch," you know, so often their agencies. And so they're like, oh, I'd like to pitch this person for this and this topic. And so they actually give you the topics. So that's the first recommendation I would have. I'd say you need to uh, actually do the homework and make sure that A, you have researched a podcast. B, you suggest what kind of topics you would like to cover. Uh, and C, what has worked really well for me is a quick video that I uh, record. In my case, I actually recorded a generic video that I use in, in all of my pitches. It helps to to the host to to actually see the person and then hear them talk and kind of go have them go through the topics that um, they suggest. So mm -hmm. that has worked well for me. Wow, I've never done a video, <laughs> but it is interesting. I find particularly uh, if you are a non-English or non-native English speaker, because I, uh, with my books and travel podcast, I interview a lot of international authors and right. I do go looking for videos uh, just to make sure that our level of English is going to work. Yeah. So I think that is important, but you're absolutely right. And for people listening, I, I think you would get you get much better results if you pitch three or five podcasts specifically than scattergun like a hundred with the same letter. You know, you do much better if you do your homework, as you said. Again, it comes back to your intention and which is to serve the audience of the podcast host, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I also I also wanted to ask about uh, you recommend ditching the shoulds and you call it comparitis and I call it comparisonitis, <laughs> but comparing yourself with others. And obviously yeah. this is easier said or not easily said, easier said than done. So how do we, as you call it, experiment with ease around marketing? So we know there are new ways to market all the time, particularly with books, paid advertising like Amazon ads and Facebook ads, but no one is finding it easy <laughs> or experimenting with ease there's a lot of anxiety as you mentioned around this type of thing so what are some of your recommendations there yeah you know I have to admit that with this book marketing thing it was new territory for me as well and so I noticed myself thinking how does it work and what are the kind of the standard rules in this industry uh, and when I talk to my coach about it. She's like, wait a minute, sir, just walk your talk and do your own thing. I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, I forgot. So what, what I noticed is that 
of course, uh, for example, when it comes to the book launch, there is this kind of standard, oh, you do the three videos or, or whatever, how many videos, and then you have uh, your launch. Before COVID, we had our book tour. Uh, so like there was this standard thing that to me just didn't feel good to make to make this book launch around about me, I really wanted it to be about the message. And so I thought, well, what can I do differently that would feel good to me? And so what I came up with, well, we'll talk about the Kickstarter in a minute. But the other thing I did is I wanted it to coincide with a, a, a worldwide event that's called the Random Acts of Kindness Week. And I thought that would be a good way for me as an introvert to shine the light on something else and just have my book as a by the way this is sponsored by my new book but we're having a week-long event that's based on this random acts of kindness topic and we're hosting conversations uh, that have to do with kindness in business and so that got me really excited. I'm like, oh, I can find all these guests that have that have something to say about kindness. And so you really have to step out of your box uh, that the, the industry kind of built and, and says, this is how it's done. And then give yourself permission to, to do it differently. So that's the, the, the first thing maybe that I would say. The other thing is I did then feel like when it came to, you know, launching the book on Amazon because I self-published, I'm like totally overwhelmed with all the kind of left brain thinking uh, around algorithms and keywords and all of that. And and again, this is not about just throwing everything away. Like we discussed earlier, there's just certain concepts and things in marketing that worked and that's just how it is and so rather than getting all anxious around those kind of things I was like well I'm gonna have to uh, hire a, a book launch coach who who's gonna deal with those number related things and items and keywords because that's her thing I didn't want to let my energy get dragged down by by things that would just overwhelm me hmm no, that's great. And yes, sometimes just paying for someone else to do things. So I, I pay someone to do my Amazon ads for me because I have exactly the same thing. If your energy really is, I hate this, then you either just don't do it at all mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you ignore it or you pay someone else to do it. And of course, you need to have a budget to do that. Mm-hmm. And only the individual author can assess what is important to them. But, you know, as you said, with actually self-publishing, there are things you have to do. You have fields to fill in to actually put the book up. So you have to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. So you mentioned the Kickstarter and I was part of your Kickstarter. And it was really interesting because I feel like many books do not do very well through Kickstarter. It's starting to get a bit better, but it's designed for a lot of different things, really. So tell us a bit more about the Kickstarter and why you wanted to do it and any tips or lessons that you learn. Yeah. So 
for me, I, I was really new to Kickstarter and my husband was on it mainly for board games and, and video games maybe. So uh, when he first mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to work for me. I also had the impression that Kickstarter is basically begging people for money, like go around to your friends and ask them for, for money. And so I was like, yeah, doesn't, that doesn't feel good. But the minute I understood that it has to do with community building, I was like, oh, maybe maybe it is interesting. So that's really how I looked at it. I, I looked at it as a, a internal launch to my own community. And yes, it helped me raise the money, but it really was kind of like this community that that kept me going and said, yes, Sarah, I think we want you to publish this book. So uh, that's really how I launched it at. And I think what I learned from it is that Again, when it comes to the numbers, there's always the the left brain and the right brain. I had huge fun with the right brain and coming up with the page and the video we shot at the lake and uh, all of these right brain creative things that gave me a lot of motivation and I liked it a lot. Then it, when it came to launching and and um, measuring the the numbers and see the money go up that didn't excite me so much. It also made me realize that Kickstarter, even though it's targeted to where it's creative uh, entrepreneurs and, you know, in general, creative people, there is still a pushy attitude to it. And I didn't like that so much. It's built into the system that they want you to basically go crazy and reach 100,000, you know, the 100,000 target or or whatever. And so I think for authors, it's all about expectations. So uh, I raised a goal of $3,000, which obviously is a very um, lower end goal, but I, I really felt important to me that I was able to reach that goal. So it was more about getting the community together and having that positive outcome rather than raising uh, $10,000 or $20,000 or, or even more to, to get the money. So it's not about the money. It was more about the community. And that then really helped me to get these initial reviews and get people to share it. So uh, overall, I would say it was a successful kind of experiment. Mm. That's so interesting you said that because I I haven't done a Kickstarter yet and I keep thinking about it and I have I try and trust my feelings as well like you do and I also just don't feel good about it but as you said if you put a very low number on it then there's much less stress but I also feel it's a bit like what what I like doing as a creative is I create something I put it out there in the world and people can buy it or not Whereas with something like Kickstarter, I feel like, well, I haven't decided what it's going to be yet. How can I possibly tell people up front what, what I'm going to make when I kind of, I'm a discovery writer and I make it as I go kind of thing. So it worries me that people might not get what I can agree on up front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting because for me, it was clearly, I used the Kickstarter probably not as you're supposed to be using it, like meaning raising the money before you've written the book. I had already had a, a finished manuscript when I, I launched a Kickstarter. Ah, so you're great. right that if you, <laughs> if you do the Kickstarter before you know what you're going to write, that can be a bit more 
challenging, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, and this was interesting because you did the launch. So you basically launched it as a Kickstarter. You'd already written it. You did the Kickstarter. You got the money. And then what I thought was really smart is I think you, you set the book for free. And the link I got was the Amazon link where I could download the book for free, right? That's right. Yeah. Which meant that you also got the download and any reviews were going to be uh, verified reviews. So that was super smart, I thought. Yeah, exactly. So I thought it was super smart too. But then my book launch coach, she's like, well, yeah, we had to do a thing where we had to relaunch it because the official launch was not going to be until the Random Acts of Kindness Week, which was only two months later. And so we had to relaunch it with that same link and then ask Amazon to transfer the reviews to the new um the new link so okay it was a little bit (laughs) but it worked out in the end it did work out well there you go I thought it was super smart and but I think this is really interesting because what we just said there were a couple of things I didn't know uh, and there are always new things in book marketing there are always different ways to do stuff so I want people listening to know like you can experiment you can do different things like it doesn't have to be the same every time but um, we're coming towards the end I did want to ask you because as a nonfiction author, I always say to people, don't expect to make your entire business income from book sales. So I mm-hmm. wondered, uh, what part does book sales play in your business and your multiple streams of income? And how does the book lead into these other business opportunities? Yeah, it, it's definitely a small part of my business. It's uh, it, You can call it a lead magnet if you want. It's, for me, it's a standalone product, uh, but it definitely there's opportunity for it to lead into uh, other business services that I offer. So at the end of the book, I talk about uh, my gentle business circle. So that's uh, my community membership. And then I also have an online program. So it is part of, you know, getting people into my world and then having them uh, maybe also uh, download my my freebie, which is the one page marketing plan in the form of a mandala. If people are interested, that's at saracenacroce.com forward slash one page, the number one and then page. So so yeah, it's part of a whole if you want. Um, in terms of the the actual revenue, it's still early, early days, but it will probably always be a small part of my business income. Mm. And have you noticed that you have attracted new people through the book? Or for example, do you find many people come into you through your podcast or your blog, for example? I would say people have come in have bought the book who've heard me talk on other podcasts that's usually how uh it it happens so they go from a podcast that i've talked on they uh buy the book and then they sign up to my you know one page marketing plan or they sign up to my one page marketing plan in which one of the emails i then mentioned the book and then they go buy the book so yeah as you know it's it's all connected and uh it's just part of my hub so that's and that's important it's this ecosystem approach Uh, everything links together and you've got this coherent message and uh that works with your yourself and what you're doing and also I guess just to finish this sort of circle back uh, to the longer term view because I know you think about this longer term view as well 
if people look at you and I right now and our websites and everything, it looks like we've got it all together, right? <laughs> I feel like, yeah, like right. people keep saying to me, oh, look, you must have known that you were going to build all this. I'm like, oh, no, it's just sort of happened over time. So <laughs> what have you really learned of this long term thing? And do we really have it all together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first of all, no, I really don't have it together. <laughs> I, I actually even say in the book, uh, you know, I don't have it all figured out right now, especially maybe two years ago, I thought I did. <laughs> but then everything <laughs> changed and, and I'm pivoting again. And who knows? I'm hoping that I'm still going to be uh, interested in talking about gentle marketing five years from now. But who knows? And that's the beauty of entrepreneurship. We can always pivot. But uh, yeah, so so I don't have it all t- together. But um, can't remember what the other question. Uh, I guess it's was. really just encouraging people to, if you don't know what you want your authentic brand to be, just yeah. trust how you feel, and yeah. over time it will sort of reveal itself. Yeah, and it really is also about resilience. I think entrepreneurship is so much about resilience and going into a dead end and then saying, oh, well, okay, that one didn't work out. Let me start again and go into another direction. It's just, I think, you know, once you've done it for 10 years, there's just no way back and there's no other place I'd rather be. And so it's always about thinking, well, if that didn't work, what else, where do I go next? And, and for me, the book, um, it was always something that I wanted to do. I never thought I'd had it in me. And, and now already I'm thinking about writing a second sequel book about selling. And, you know, had somebody told me 10, even two years ago uh, that I was going to write a book about selling, I would have said, no, I, I know nothing about selling. But now it's just a logical next step. And, it, you know, people are asking me about it. Well, what's the difference between marketing and selling? And so I, I grow into that. And like you probably grew into, you know, always, yeah, these we grow into them as we grow as people. Uh, and I think maybe that's one of the biggest lessons as entrepreneurships is that we really have to also grow into things uh, as people because we, we can't always figure things out and wanting to do more. We have to really also let ourselves be more. And that's only if we do the deeper inner work. Mm, fantastic. So where can people find you and everything you do online? Yeah, so my main site is sarasantacroce.com. So that, that my first name is with an H at the end and then S-A-N-T-A-C-R-O-C-E.com. And you pronounced it perfectly. Thanks, Joanne. <laughs> and uh, my book is at thegentlemarketingrevolution.com forward slash book. And I mentioned the free download one-page marketing plan at sarasantacroce.com forward slash one-page with a one number one and if you're more of a listener then you can also check out my podcast uh that's called the gentle business revolution brilliant well thanks so much for your time sarah that was great it's been a delight thanks for having me joanna so i hope you found the interview with sarah interesting and that it's given you some ideas for gentle marketing that works for you and your books over the long term 
I've certainly focused on attraction marketing through content, my blog, my podcast and my books, uh, as well as limited and getting even more limited social media for over a decade. And I have found it gentle, sustainable, long term, and it works for me. Only you can find what works for you. So next week, I'm talking to Roz Morris about writing and marketing literary fiction. And Roz is always a popular guest as we go back to craft next week. So happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.